Hello and welcome to the Data Journalism Podcast. My name is Simon Rogers. I'm a data journalist, speaker and teacher and data editor at Google. And my name is Alberto Cairo. I am a professor of visualization at the University of Miami, an infographics designer and a journalist and also a book author. We love using data to tell stories and the music you can hear is the sound of data made with Two-Tone, an app that turns numbers into tunes. And this is the Data Journalism Podcast, the only podcast, as far as we know, and at least for now, that dissects the latest trends in data journalism around the world. In each episode, we will explore the latest in data journalism, and we will chat with some of the world's top data journalists. You will get to find out how they do what they do. So subscribe at datajournalismpodcast.com to see how data is changing the world of journalism forever. Hi, Simon. Hey, Hey, how are you doing? Doing all right. How about yourself? Good, thanks. Tell us about this week's guest. Oh, this week is a very special guest. So full disclosure, because this is important, um, uh, our guest is the author of a book that I edited. Right. So that, that that's important to disclose uh, beforehand, before we get started. Our guest this week is uh, Nigel Holmes, longtime explanation graphics designer, journalist, artist, and also an author. And he's the he has just written and published a book titled Joyful Infographics, uh, which has been published in the in the AK Peters Visualization Series, published by CRC Press. And I am the co-editor of that series along with uh, Tamara Munzner. So I'm super excited about talking to Nigel today. You know what? It's it was a great conversation, partly because I loved this book so much, and hopefully uh, everybody listening will get a chance to get it before Christmas. But um, just the humanity that shines through at a time when I think that that is very much in demand. And I think it also um, speaks to a really interesting trend around the importance of personality in visual data. We think of data as this cold-hearted uh yeah analytical thing which it is of course but giving it a bit of humanity makes it real and approachable to people and i love to see that in his work yeah and we we talk a little bit about that during our conversation with with nigel and nigel and i talked about it also when he was writing the book that um i am i'm a great believer in the uh presence of the author in the creation of explanation graphics and data visualizations and i'm also a, a great believer in the presence of the author when writing books so essentially you know a book like these uh, shouldn't be, or a visualization, right? Shouldn't be a view from nowhere, right? It shouldn't be, this is a book about humor in, in infographics, yeah. right? That's not what I'm interested in. I am interested in Nigel Holmes's approach to humor in infographics. His personality or the personality of the many authors that I'm, that I have been, that I have been working with in the past a few months, how that personality gets reflected in the work, I believe that is extremely important. I agree. And I think um, one of the things that comes across, especially when you see the book, is that you don't have to be a graphic designer to love this book. I think just somebody who cares about the world and is interested in it and interested in explanations and why, the why of things, I think we'll get a lot out of this book. And I think that really comes across in in Nigel's work. Definitely, I'm uh, very excited to see this. You get to you get to learn a lot, but also you get to smile a lot, which is uh, yeah. even a, even a better thing. Yeah. So, should right. we dive in? Yep. Let's go. 
My name is Nigel Holmes, and I have been making information graphics of one sort or another, which I sometimes call explanation graphics, for a long, a long time. I think my first professional job was in 1966, while I was at the Royal College of Art, and and I'd never done anything else. People talk to me about what what they're going to do for their careers. And I, I never had any question about it from the from the very first uh, time that I decided to, to do this. I didn't get any help from the Royal College of Art, by the way. Uh, in fact, they hated the fact that I did professional work while I was there. They said I, they could have given the, the, the space to somebody else. But during that time, I met somebody called Brian Haynes who was art directing the London Sunday Times magazine. And I was studying illustration and he said, you're not a very good illustrator, but I like the way your mind works. Would you like to work with me for a bit? And so that uh, internship, summer internship in, uh, that would have been in 64, I think, uh, turned into a long relationship with Brian. Um, and uh, uh, that, that's it. <laughs> I, I, I worked in London for about 10 years and then came to the United States and met Walter Bernard from Time magazine. And I worked there for 16 years. And then I uh, took a sabbatical and never went back. They, they were very decent about that. They said uh, I was supposed to go back. They let me off the hook there. And um, I started out on my own, which I've been ever since uh, here in Westport, Connecticut. So what would you say attracted you to this field? Like, What is it about doing it that satisfies something in you that you've never wanted to do anything else? Ah, um, I hate, you know, when people say good question, but that actually, nobody's ever asked me that before, funnily enough. Why did I want to do this? Um, I suppose it was largely Brian who who said, I'm going to actually pay you to do this. Um, so, you know, come along and work alongside me. And uh, slightly later than that, I met Peter Sullivan, who was also working at the New York Times. And, and he was a, a big influence as well. I, I suppose I liked the kind of the neatness of it. I, I liked dealing with information that I could do something with rather than just presenting it straightforwardly. And uh, my illustration, which Brian had decried, actually helped a lot in just freeing me up from saying, I, I don't actually just have to do a bar chart here. I could put somebody in it. And I started to do that in, in England and uh, with, with another great mentor there, David Driver, who was the art director of the, or became the art director of the Radio Times, which is the BBC's publication there. And I did a lot of work for him. He then went on to the Times of London, the newspaper. A great, great guy. We're, st we're still very much in touch. Now, I just, I can't let it go. I mean, I love it. I love everything I do, I, I get excited. Even when somebody says, can you just do this little job for us? There's no money in it, but we're, and I say, yeah, 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 give me the job. You know, I, I'm kind of, I, I really like what I do. I'm very happy. I would like to go back to something that you just hinted, which is that 
you prefer the term explanation graphic over information graphic. Can you expand on that? I think it was Werman or somebody like that, Richard Werman, who said information has to inform. So I think it I think you can also help people by explaining what numbers mean. So the I mean all 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 of history shows us this. Playfair actually, you know, referred to his work as pictures of numbers. And so I want to let people know what things mean, not only what they are. And that's got me into trouble in a few places because some some people think that you should just give the facts and step aside because when you're explaining something, you are sometimes putting an opinion in there and is thought of as not good uh, in journalism. But I see it beginning to change, actually. I think that more and more people are, in fact, allowing themselves to say what they think about the subject that they are either writing about or charting. So explanation for me is more than informing. It is giving them the numbers, but then telling them what they mean, if possible, or at least what the chart is about. That is so interesting to me because I think this idea of objectivity, utter objectivity applying to anything is has always been a little bit kind of frayed <laughs> when no. it comes up to reality, doesn't it? I mean, you're putting your personality right. as an artist and a visual and a, a designer into into your work, and surely that's what people should should expect of you. Yeah, well, that and where do these numbers come from, and yeah. why are we selecting these numbers? And isn't that an editorial decision of a sort? You know, you. A, a, you can't give everybody everything about every subject. So you select, and you select according to who your audience is. This is a very important part, the audience, I think, is, is to know or to try to know or to find out who your audience is. And that's why people in academia criticized my work at time, because they misunderstood that I was trying to get to the general reader of a general purpose magazine who might not be fully aware of all the ins and outs of science or medicine or finance or the money supply or or anything like that. So if I saw it as my job not only to give them the facts, but also to say, well, this is what this means. I, I can't say any more than that. It, I, I, I couldn't stop myself from doing it. I, I would be bored if I, if I didn't try to go a little bit further. And I would say good for you. Because I think that your work has been vindicated in the past, uh, in the I would say in the past decade. I think that there has been a, a revival in the world of um, explanation graphics, in the world of data visualization for um, looking for more humanistic approaches yeah. to the to the presentation of information, rather than just trying to be merely objective. Imagine tons of quotation marks around around yeah. that word. And I think that your work has been has experienced a sort of like a revival. There has been a revival, a revival in attention to your to your work, and I think that that's a positive, positive development. You mentioned the book, so your new book, 
uh, joyful infographics. I think that we should talk a little bit more about it, right? So can you can you say something about the book, what the book is about, what yeah. the main messages are? Yeah, well, of course, it, it wouldn't exist, Alberto, if you hadn't asked me to do it. <laughs> um, but I think you said you were doing a series and that this might fit in well with the series. Uh, I was worried to begin with because it's an academic publisher and we made it very clear between you and myself and Elliot Morcia at, at uh, CRC Press um, that this was not going to be an academic book. This is not a textbook uh, and, and therefore I am going to make you a book, dear publisher, that you probably can't sell in the quantities that you have done before to, you know, uh, schools and so on, because I've, I, I couldn't write a textbook if I tried to, uh, or I'd be bored stiff or, or something. I must say, I found this the most enjoyable book that I've ever done. And, and believe it or not, I've done 10 now. A lot of them are not like this. A lot of them are a spread and then another spread and then another spread, more like magazines. But, but th this time I found that the combination of writing and then designing at the same time, which was another clue that I took from you, Alberto, to begin with, I thought, okay, here's a chance for me just to write a text and some illustrations will go with it. But this, almost as soon as I started, I realized that I, I didn't want to do that either. I didn't want a, a page of text and then an illustration, page of text illustration. Because with the graphics themselves, the words and the pictures are, are married together. And therefore, I wanted to say something in the text and have the picture right there, even if it was a very small bit of the picture. You know, I, I thought, okay, I'll talk about my past and my... Um, uh, influences and so on. And then I wrote, I wrote again to you and said, look, this, is this too personal? Are we, are we getting too, it's too much about me. It's not really about, uh, about infographic in general, joyful infographics. And I think one of you said, I think you said, and I don't think you were being rude, but you said, I think you're old enough to uh, have your, <laughs> to say whatever you want. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I, I went on and it's very personal. I mean, and, and it's very, it's mostly about me and my work. I, I did get um, permissions from quite a lot of people to re reproduce their work. Some was, was hard to find uh, and some I never found. <clears throat> so it was just great. I just took my time and uh, took a little longer. I think that originally we said it was going to be a year, which would have taken me to January of 22. Um, and uh, I knew I wasn't going to finish it in time. And I was teaching myself in, in design at the same time so that I could actually design it at the same time as, as writing it. And that, and that was that was one of the best things I've ever done was to actually sit down and learn how to use a program that did and make it do what I wanted it to do. I mean, this is my this is my whole thing actually about data visualization is that computers will give you a beautiful thing, and you can say, "Oh, I like that. Let's go with that." You haven't done that. The computer has done that, and it's given you that choice. 
And I, I, I don't want to rant about data visualization at all because there's plenty of it that's good, but there's too much, I think, reliance on machine-made things which you then accept as your work. I mean, this seems slightly odd to me. Uh, I, I, I want to control, maybe a control freak, I don't know. I want to control it and make it do <clears throat> make it do exactly what I want it to do. That makes a lot of sense. And actually what you're saying connects specifically to the many conversations that we had we, uh, throughout the writing of the book. Because uh, wh while working with you, working with Jen Christiansen, uh, from Scientific American, who also wrote a book. I, she wrote a book and I edited it. I, I, and, and with some other authors that I have been working with, I'm always making it clear that I really care about the author. And you are, you are sort of like vindicating the role of the author. It shouldn't be the computer who makes decisions. It should be the author. Right. And that is, that is the reason why I emphasize so much in that your book should be the most Nigel Holmes book of all Nigel Holmes books. Yeah. Because I think that there is an intrinsic connection, and that is a good thing, between the product, between the work that a person produces, and the temperament and life experiences and tastes and likes and dislikes that the author has. Those get to get, get to be reflected in the work. So it is good to learn who the people are Right, mm -hmm. who are producing this type of work, and I think that this book reflects who you are really, really well, and uh, that makes me happy because it's a joy to it's a joy to read. Good, good. Thank you. That's <laughs> that's very nice. So one one of the things I enjoyed very much about the book was um, was that personal nature of it, and your influences section oh, yeah. was lovely because you were talking about about older relatives. Do you want to tell 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 the listeners a little bit about? about yeah. your influences and and they're not always what you'd expect i think yeah yeah well um the, the there was only one artist in the family and he was my great uncle george and he was uh, <laughs> something that i didn't put in the book but found out later actually was that he wasn't uh completely loved by everybody in the family <laughs> but uh <laughs> but he was an eccentric guy and he uh, was passionate about sailing uh, boat uh, boats and he drew them, uh, and he drew them first kind of as a hobby. He was trained as an engineer, and so his drawings were very precise and beautiful, uh, line drawings of the boats that basically ply around the waters of uh, Britain, fishing boats, uh, trawlers, and so on. And uh, they... In the family, he he would he would he would send us an etching for Christmas or something like that. And he had he did a map of um, the River Hull, um, which is why Hull is called Hull. I mean, it's actually Kingston upon Hull is the name, but it's it's Hull. And he put little drawings of the uh, bridges and this thing. And we've got the original. I've got the original drawing. I can see this little pencil stuff underneath it. And uh, I, this was up in our, our home. It was not very big. It's about the size of a tabloid piece of paper. And uh, I was fascinated by this as a child. I didn't know why. I'm looking back. I'm post-rationalizing a tiny bit. But this obviously was a big influence on me because here was 
a flat map with three-dimensional drawings on it. And that was magical to me. I, I just thought that was extraordinary. So a few years later, Brian Haynes, who I'd mentioned before, was now working at the Observer magazine. And he said he they wanted to do a thing about shipping around the shore of England. And, uh, and he said, I'd like you to work on it. There are some maps here and there's uh, boats and things like that. And here's some reference for you. And he gave me Uncle George's drawings. I mean, it was extraordinary. I mean, he didn't know this. He hadn't looked at who'd done them. He just said, here's some nice drawings of these boats. That, that, that was a pretty amazing kind of moment in, in, in my life. Unfortunately, I only have the original drawings of the boats and one sketch that I have for the... I don't have the tear sheet from the Observer and I couldn't get it. But in anyway, that was nice. But other... Um, influences were something that I'm sure rings a bell with you, Simon. I mean, you know, Monty Python and Barnett Friedman and the uh, the Goon Show. You know, I was having my appendix out once and somebody gave me a pair of headphones to listen to the Goon Show and I had to put it down because it hurt so much because I was laughing. And that kind of nonsense I mean, educated nonsense. Both the Goon Show and Monty Python are actually not they're, they're rooted in amazing facts, and mm. they were by extremely well-educated people. And the, there was just there's just something about that sort of humor that I that really tickled me. I I I, I loved it, you know. And my dad was a bit of a clown as well, and um, you know he would after the family dinner he would um, he would just suddenly disappear and and come back with a silly hat on or one of my mother's hats or something and just look around and say well um, and and leave again suddenly you know there was just there was no kind of sense or nonsense in it he 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 gave me the barnet friedman that there's a uh, in the book there's a beautiful mm. by barnet friedman of the uh, complete nonsense of edward lear and i actually we, just we have we have that that book yeah. as well. Yeah. It's a wonderful cover. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it's printed inside. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, you know, when, when you take the, the cover off, it's actually inside. There's the, the, the whole thing is printed again on the hard cover. <clears throat> and Leah is really fascinating me now because he lived at the same time as one of my next influences, which was Edward Mybridge. And I'm having this kind of fantasy idea that they would meet somewhere and <laughs> discuss uh, Dickens' latest novel or something like that, you know. Mm. So I think all of that kind of just was where I was where I came from, you know. Tell people about about Mybridge. It's super fascinating. I found a copy of Animals in Motion, which is his classic work. Mm. Somebody had thrown away at the Royal College of Art because it didn't have a cover. And, the, and some people had cut some things out to make collages of them and so on. And then when I went to Stanford to do a series of lectures there, my bridge, of course, was connected to Leyland Stanford. Leyland Stanford was the guy who started the university in the name of his son. That's why it's called Leyland Stanford Junior University, actually. Um, he employed my bridge 
he, he was a nut for for racing uh, um, uh, racing with um, uh, what's it called with with um, uh, trotters mm. with a carriage behind and uh, he wanted to prove that there was a time we had a bet that there was a time when all four hooves of a horse were off the ground at the same time the only way you could do this would be to take a picture of it so he he employed Mybridge, who was at that time working for the National Geographic, uh, making beautiful uh, um, Ansel Adams type photographs of the West. And he got Mybridge to come down and Mybridge set up this amazing bank of 12 cameras with trip wires from the camera to the place where the horse or a horse or a person and uh, he was a peculiar man. Often it was a naked person, and sometimes it was a naked woman walking mm. across, tripping these wires, uh, which which um, took a picture. He later developed it into a system where he didn't have to use trip wires. He got cameras lined up. Anyway, anyway that's that, that's a bit later. But um, and he proved uh, he he won the bet for for Leyland Stanford. The thing about him is that. Uh, he, he's a great person. He's a great um, resource for uh, tracing what animals look like when they're in movement. And actually something that I haven't put in the book, but I found a David Hockney drawing of a cat leaping. And I, and I have got the, the, um, the Mybridge uh, picture of it as well. And so, you know, it can happen that David Hockney, who in incidentally was at the Royal College of Art just exactly one year before I was there and was a, an amazing figure at, at the Royal College of Art, you know, f famously dyed his hair gold to get his, uh, his final uh, uh, degree. I got a pass because they didn't like the fact that I was doing extra work outside the Royal College. Anyway, long story. Um, my bridge, great. And I ripped him off mercilessly for all sorts of things. One of the things is for, for was for the Radio Times, was uh, horses galloping, uh, was an excuse to show actually the colours that the jockeys wear. Uh, in flat racing in in England, all sorts of other influences, but that's probably not. <laughs> Those are the main ones, and there are many others in the book. Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to return to the main, to the core, the core themes of the book, which are the importance of joy and humor yeah. when, pre when presenting information. Can you talk a little bit about that? Can you briefly explain what your case is for employing joy and humor in our designs? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 mean, I think, as I, I've said lots of times, I think if I can make somebody smile, then I'm kind of halfway to keeping them reading. And then, you know, the smile doesn't have to be a funny ha-ha. It's more um, the smile of recognition of, oh, okay, now I see it. Now, or now I see what you mean. And I've got letters from people who actually said that to me you know they said i didn't understand such and such a uh, a scientific or medical procedure until i saw what you did and now now i can see what it's what it's all about there was there was one uh, case where somebody who, who we were getting we were going to do a thing about interferon 
and I would talk to the writers about uh, what they meant by uh, interferon. What what is interferon? They would say, well, it's kind of like a messenger from one cell to another. And I said, okay, messenger. Can I use a messenger, classic kind of messenger thing? You know, Paul Revere riding from one cell to another. It was a re- kind of ridiculous idea. And they said, well, I suppose so. So I did this drawing and we sent it to the doctor or the scientist whose work we were reviewing in that issue. And he was in, he was not happy that his work was going to be in Time magazine in a kind of cartoon or a comic strip or something. And but it was too late. I mean, we went we went ahead and did it anyway. He was very generous. He wrote to us afterwards and said, lots of my colleagues wrote to me and said, now I understand what you're doing. Now, that's the best kind of letter you can get. Mm -hmm. So that was the kind of explanation. But it was with a sense of humor. And, um, you know, humor, I I sometimes temper it by saying it's like good humor. It's not, I'm not trying to make people laugh. And I don't think, I hope I'm not advocating that everybody should go out and make funny charts. I don't mean that at all. Uh, The occasional one is good. But... um, it's more like being friendly. It's being uh, nice to people. It's it's saying you're reading my stuff. Let me help you. You know, rather than I am a very serious person here, and uh, you've got to work hard to uh, to understand what I'm doing. You know, I don't want it to be like homework. I want it to be. I want it to be fun. To be quite honest, I want people to have fun. I, I really like that serious voice that you use for that last sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so um Nigel this has been a joy we did we gave you zero warning about this but one of the things we do at the end of each podcast is have a little pop quiz which is yeah, kind of yes yeah. or no one one or two um simple answers okay and um we're going to we're going to ask you a couple of questions so I am gonna choose if you could keep just one of the tools that you commonly use what would it be Pencil. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Pie charts or bar graphs? If you could only choose one. Bar. Why bar? Well, that's an additional question, but uh, you got me curious about it. <laughs> More flexible, I think. Wonderful. Nigel Holmes, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute joy to chat. And um, everybody, go out and check out Joyful Infographics. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a it's been fun for me.